just want to begin this morning by thanking Pastor Jeff and really our whole leadership team here at Chapel Street Church for leading us so well through this COVID season and really through every season. Well, my name is Tom Ward. I am the director of high school ministry here at Chapel Street Church, and I've been on staff here for about seven years or so. And if you ever had the chance during the beginning of COVID to watch Wednesday Night Live, you might know that I really like playing games. So I thought it'd be pretty fun this morning to begin by playing a short little game that I made up this week called Have You Forgotten? It's pretty simple, but here's how it's going to work. I'm going to list off some of what I believe to be some of the most commonly forgotten things. And then if you, sometime in, let's say the last month or so, have forgotten one of those items, then you simply need to raise your hand, raise it high, and then you can give yourself a point and we'll track along together as we go. Make sense? All right, we'll start off pretty easy. In the last month, have you forgotten your cell phone? Anybody? I'm actually pretty well known for using the flashlight app on my phone to look for my phone. It's a little bit embarrassing. What about this one? In the last month or so, have you forgotten your car keys? Anybody not sure where their keys are right now? It's usually also the case for me. Or what about this one? I'm sure this is a pretty common one. In the last month or so, have you forgotten your mask? I've handed one up there right away. Yeah. I think for me, probably the most common occurrence of this is when I'm about to walk into a store and I realize that my mask is back in the car, right? Or how about this one? Have you ever forgotten in the last month where you parked your car? Yeah, that's also true of me. What about the daily double? When you're about to walk into the store, you realize, oh, my mask is back in my car. And then you start walking to your car, but you can't remember where you parked it in the parking lot. Again, I don't know. Maybe that's just you. No, it's totally me as well. Okay, how are we doing so far? Does everybody have all of them? A few. Nobody at nine wanted to admit that, but good, good for you. We'll do one more speaking of stores. In the last month or so, maybe even longer, have you forgotten the main item list on your grocery list. The main reason that you went to the store, you went home and you realized, oh, I don't even have that. Maybe some other time I'll tell you the story of when I went to Jewel three times in like less than an hour. Uh, it's pretty embarrassing. Well, if you've been uh, tracking with us over the past few months, you probably know that we are in consecutive sermon series on the New Testament letters of Peter. A few weeks ago, we wrapped up our series called Living Hope on the letter of 1 Peter. And then last week, if you were with us, Pastor Brian was here to kind of kick us off in our new series called Faith That Finishes, a study of 2 Peter. And in our passage here this morning, we're going to see Peter offering an incredibly important reminder, one to help us remember some of the most critical things. So let's dive right in here this morning. We're in 2 Peter chapter 1, begin in verse 12, and it'll be up here on the screens. Here's what Peter writes. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased." 
We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's clearly a lot happening in that passage, but I think the first thing that we see here this morning is a parting reminder. A parting reminder. You know, I've learned a lot about myself in the past several years of marriage, but I think probably the most startling discovery that I've made is that I'm not very good at packing for a trip. Really, every time I pack for a trip, even most times that I leave the house for any reason, I tend to forget at least something. And so Ashlyn, my wife, and I have kind of created this unofficial system. Really, mostly Ashlyn has created this system. I have to abide by it. But she allows me to pack my bag all by myself. But then before I can leave the house, she begins to kind of rapid fire a list of all the things that she wants to make sure that I haven't forgotten. You can kind of picture me with one hand on my suitcase and one hand on the door handle ready to leave the house. And she's just listing off all of these simple things that she wants to make sure that I haven't forgotten. And right when I thought I was making some progress in this, then we had a baby. Here's a picture of our eight-month-old daughter. She's also up here this morning with us. Uh, I'm sure we all agree she's the cutest baby in the whole world, right? <laughs> yes, good, 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 good. But something I've learned about having a baby is there are way more things that I can forget. Diapers and bottles, her stroller, her pack and play, her sound machine, her portable sound machine. Apparently that's a thing too. The list really just goes on and on. And in his letter, Peter makes clear to us that before he leaves, that there are some very important things that he wants to make sure that we remember. Let's look back at verses 12 to 15. Again, here's what Peter writes. Therefore, I intend to remind you of these qualities, which we talked about last week and we'll come back to again here in a moment. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, you might have noticed here that Peter focuses on reminding his readers three different times in this passage. So what is he really reminding them all about? Well, earlier in chapter 1, Peter tells us that God has given us everything that we need for a godly life. And for that very reason, in verse 5, he tells us to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. Knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Then if we skip down just a few verses to verse 11. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Peter has already told us that in Jesus, we've been given everything we need in order to grow in our faith, 
in order to become more like Christ and to receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of God. But then in verse 12, Peter kind of just continues to reiterate those same ideas all over again. And I'll be honest with you, when I first started to to study and read this passage for this morning, my first thought was, well, maybe we should just skip these first three or four verses. It's kind of repetitive, right? I mean, come on, it's literally the same stuff that we just talked about last week. Why is Peter so insistent on telling us the same thing all over again? But as I really uh, just continued to prepare and really allowed God to speak to me through his word first, I began to realize just how important these reminders from Peter truly are, that this is a needed reminder. Because we can joke about forgetting where our keys are or forgetting the one item that we went to the store for. And of course, sometimes we need reminders when it comes to things like that. That's why I love using Siri on my phone so much. But spiritually speaking, I think the same thing is true. Reminders are essential to our faith. All throughout scripture, we see that God repeats his commands. He repeats his covenants. He reminds his people about who he is and what he has done for them. Why? Because we forget. We drift. We get distracted. We become swayed by what's more popular, by what seems like it might be more fun in the moment. And then after a day or a few days or sometimes a lot of days, we realize that we're not really spiritually in the place that we set off to be. I often think of an example that I heard years ago that a boat that set off course, even just by one degree, just the smallest amount after time will end up very far from its desired destination. I think that more often than I would like to admit, I need this reminder when I realize that I'm a little bit, or sometimes even a lot a bit, off course. And I need to be reset. I need to be reminded sometimes of even some of the most simple things. I wonder if maybe that's true for you here as well. Not only is this reminder needed, Peter also makes clear to us that this is an urgent reminder. Listen again to verses 13 and 14. Here's what Peter writes. I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, just as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, we believe that this letter was was Peter's final note, his final encouragement to these churches, somewhat of a farewell speech. We also know that Peter wrote this letter just a little bit after he wrote 1 Peter, just a few years later. It was likely both happening during the persecution of Nero in Rome. And now, while it's not entirely clear to us how Peter seems to know that his time is running out, maybe he's got word that Nero is kind of closing in on him, maybe he just kind of had a feeling. But regardless, we do know that shortly after this letter was written, that Peter was martyred for his faith, just as Jesus had predicted in their conversation we read about in John 21. Because Peter knows that his time is running out, there's a sense of urgency to his reminder. I think you can almost picture Peter 
sitting in his favorite chair in the living room, surrounded by his friends and by his family. And they're all waiting to hear the final thing, the one thing that he wants to pass along to them before he's gone. I've been thinking a lot about that scenario lately. What if I had a moment like that? What if you had a moment like that? And what you believed to be one of the final days of your life, surrounded by your friends, by your kids, maybe even by your grandkids. And you know that you just have the chance to tell them one thing, the one thing you want to make sure that they know before you're gone. What would you say? I think Peter sets for us an incredible example in this, an example of spiritual legacy. If I had one chance to just tell you one thing, or to tell our students just one thing, or to tell my daughter just one thing, I hope and I pray that I would follow Peter's example by pointing other people to who Jesus is and what he has done. Peter also hopes that this would be a lasting reminder. Listen again to verse 15. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, once I'm gone, that you may be able at any time to recall these things. See, Peter's goal here is to issue a reminder that stirs his readers up, one that wakes them up, one that encourages them to take action, to live differently, even once he's no longer there to remind them of those things anymore. And so Peter gives us this needed, this urgent, and this lasting reminder, but then he also gives us two reasons why we can be so confident in what he's reminding us about. The first reason we see is a personal testimony. Well, for those of you who might not know, I actually began attending here at Chapel Street Church when I was in seventh grade. And when I was a junior in high school, I had the opportunity to go on our annual mission trip to Ecuador. Now, just a little bit of background on me. Up until that trip, I was really only very marginally involved in church-related things when I was a student. In fact, I was unbelievably shy. Like, I honestly didn't have very many friends, at least very many good ones, because I just literally did not talk to people. You maybe picture the, the quietest kid in your class in school. I know some of you guys here are middle schoolers or high schoolers, even college students. My guess is if you pick that person, you reduced their words by like 50 or maybe 75%. That probably would have pretty accurately described what I was like when I was in middle school and early in high school. So I specifically remember that I did not want to go on this mission trip. I also remember that my parents, they were not going to force me to go. They totally left it up to me to decide. And at that point, I had never even been on an airplane before. Really, every sign pointed toward me, not even going to the informational meeting. But yet, for some reason, God led me to go. And I joined the team. And on that trip, in the mountains of Ecuador, there's a scrawny, shy 16-year-old kid. For the first time in my life, I understood the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus. And I surrendered my life to him and really allowed him to begin to change me from the inside out and shape me as I began my faith journey. The first reason that Peter gives us to be confident in his reminders is his own personal testimony with Jesus on a mountain. 
He tells us more about this in verses 16 through 18. Here's what Peter writes. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now let's just pause there. We just sang about that word majesty a moment ago, and it literally means magnificence or splendor. And now next in verse 17, we're going to see Peter talking about his experience of the transfiguration of Jesus. Let's continue in verse 17. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, just another name used for God, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, let's just stop for a minute and kind of think about Peter's background a little bit. I'm sure a lot of us are pretty familiar that Peter was one of Jesus' disciples, but he also was one of the three disciples in the inner circle closest to Jesus, which really means that Peter had all different types of experiences with Jesus. I'm sure he saw him teach and preach, perform lots of different miracles. He's pretty much able to interact with him every day for three years. Yet out of all of those experiences, Peter points to the transfiguration to prove his confidence in who Jesus really is. So why? What is the transfiguration really all about? Well, we have several gospel accounts of this story where Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his inner three circle of disciples, up to a mountain to pray. And while they were praying, Jesus began to change and to be transformed in glory. Peter refers to this as majestic. Jesus' clothes even began to become a dazzling white. There's a lot of ideas of what this might have looked like. Here's one that I found this week. And then next what happens is Moses and Elijah, who represented the Old Testament law and the prophets, they suddenly appeared and they started talking with Jesus. And Peter, like I'm sure most of us would have been, was confused. He was terrified. But Peter was also pretty well known for not really thinking before he spoke. And so he blurted out something along the lines of, hey, uh, Jesus, do you, do, you, do you think that we should put some tents up here on this mountain for you guys? And now I don't really know exactly how you might have responded in that moment, but I'm pretty sure that if I was up on a mountain with somebody to pray, and then they began to glow, and then two guys who had been dead for hundreds of years suddenly showed up and started talking to him, I don't think that my first response would have been something along the lines of, hey, uh, should we go camping up here? <laughs> but again, I don't know about you. Let's pick up the rest of the story from Matthew 17, verse 5. And while he, meaning Peter, was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Talk about a mountaintop experience. By pointing back to this personal testimony, I think Peter is teaching us something very, very important that you can place your trust in the power and the coming of Jesus. That you can trust in the power and the coming of Jesus. 
Now, what's interesting here is that the word that Peter uses for coming is actually from the Greek word parousia, which literally means appearing or arrival. And almost always throughout the New Testament, this is referring to the second coming of Jesus. And so what Peter is saying while he stood up there on that mountain, he not only saw the glory and the majesty of Jesus, but he also received something of a preview of what the second coming of Christ was really going to be like. And this was a big deal because it was something that was being heavily disputed in this culture. You might have noticed that Peter begins verse 16 by saying, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths. Now my guess is maybe that language sounded a little funny to you. I know it sounded kind of funny to me the first few times I read it. Why is Peter being so intentional to differentiate his story about Jesus from some cleverly devised myth? Well, in this culture, myths were actually a major part of how they told stories and even often how they interpreted the world that was going on around them. Greek and religious mythology dominated this culture. And so when it came to the second coming of Jesus, there were many false teachers and false prophets who were trying to kind of introduce heresy. They're trying to fabricate stories to cause people to question or even to doubt altogether that Jesus was really ever going to return again. People were trying to convince believers that this experience was the fullest experience of the kingdom of God that they could ever have. And while I think myths might look a little bit different or take somewhat of a different form in our culture today, I think that mythology still is somewhat relevant in our world. Maybe it looks more like fake news or posts you see, maybe even comment on, on Facebook. False claims about religion. Or even the Your Truth movement that's kind of sweeping our culture right now. That you can believe your truth and I can believe my own truth. There are so many voices in our culture which are trying to make it seem like the story of Jesus is just some cleverly devised myth that you'd almost be a fool to believe. We'll see Peter address these false teachers and prophets even in more depth next week when we get to chapter 2. And so Peter wants to make sure that we understand this essential truth that, that, that is essential to our faith that the second coming of Jesus is not just some creatively altered story. It's not just some imagined series of events that are kind of trying to piece together to help us understand the world going around us. Peter's saying, no, what I'm telling you is for my own personal testimony. In addition to what all the other apostles have been teaching and preaching about who Jesus is. Guys, this is real. 1 John chapter 1 Verse 1 says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. Peter and the apostles are saying that Jesus is a real person who really lived a perfect life who really died a sinner's death, 
who really was raised from the dead so that we could be made right with God the Father and he is coming again. This has been an essential part of the story of Jesus from the beginning and it remains true to this very day. So in the face of those who might be doubting the return of Christ, even to those who might be trying to convince others that the second coming is just some made-up story or fable, Peter says with unshakable confidence from his own personal testimony that you can trust that Jesus will return again. He is who he said he is, and he's going to do what he said he's going to do. This makes me pause and wonder this morning. What is your story? In what ways have you maybe personally experienced or, or witnessed Jesus in your own life. All of us who have come to faith in Christ have had some type of personal encounter, but I think a question that often we have is how do we know if that testimony is really true? And that leads us to the final thing that we see here this morning. That is a prophetic confirmation. Let's look back once again at verses 19 through 21. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's important to note here that Peter is writing this letter primarily to Jewish background believers, people who would have been very familiar with the words of the prophets. Throughout their entire lives, they would have been reading about and hearing about all of these different things that the prophets had foretold about the Messiah, that the Messiah would come from the line of Abraham, that he'd be an heir to the throne of David, they'd be born of a virgin, that he'd be rejected and crucified, and that he would rise from the dead. And these believers then would have seen all of these things come true in their lifetime or their family's lifetime in the person of Jesus. And so Peter is urging them that because of the accuracy of everything else that the prophets have said, that we can also believe in what the prophets are saying about the second coming of Jesus. Peter is using prophecy to confirm his own personal testimony. That we can place our trust in the power and coming of Jesus because eyewitness accounts have experienced it firsthand and the prophets confirm it. Peter also reminds us of a few important things when it comes to how we view the word of God that it does not come from man's own interpretation and that these words were spoken by God and inspired by the Holy Spirit. See, what matters most to Peter, I think, is that we have an accurate understanding of the second coming of Jesus, that Jesus is the light, that he is the morning star, that he's the crucified one, that he's the risen one, that he's the beloved son of God, and that he promised that he would come again in glory and majesty. 
And so until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, meaning until the day of the Lord is here, Peter reminds us to pay attention to God's word as a lamp shining in a dark place, to allow scripture to help lay the foundation of your life and to lead you through a dark and challenging world so that you can grow in your faith, become more like Jesus, and ultimately receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of God. There's a tradition on the student Ecuador mission trip that we take called the perimeter hike. We wake up crazy early, usually one of the very last days of our trip, to go hike up this mountain at the camp that we stay at and go watch the sunrise. And I remember being on that path, if you can really even call it a path, all those years ago on that very first trip I took when I was a student. And let me tell you, that hike is long and it is cold and we wake up so early that it is still pitch black outside. It's so dark. It's really challenging to the point where I was kind of beginning to question if it was even worth it at all. But I had heard so many stories from other people who had done the hike before me about what it's really like to experience the top of that mountain, to sit up there and to watch the sun rise over the clouds. And so despite the fact that it was very difficult and it seemed at points like we would maybe never even get to the top at all, that that might not even happen, I knew that I could pay attention to what I believed to be true from all of those people who had gone before me. I knew to use my headlamp that I had to help light the path and to help guide my steps. And I also knew that I wasn't on that journey alone, that I had brothers and sisters in Christ who were walking along with me, all moving together in the same direction. Peter's telling the believers that he's writing this letter to 2,000 years ago. And I also believe he's telling us here this morning to remember, to remember that because of those eyewitness testimonies, because of the confirmation of the prophecy, that even when the path is dark, that you can trust in the power and the coming of Jesus. That even when you think that you might fall, that you can trust in the power, in the coming of Jesus. Even when you doubt if you'll make it at all, you can trust in the power, in the coming of Jesus. Until he returns, we can trust in the power, in the coming of Jesus. Bow with me as I close. Father God, We thank you for the truth of your word here this morning. That even when the world is dark, even when it's easy to be swayed by the culture around us, even when it's easy to drift away from you, God, that we know that we can trust in the power and the coming of Jesus. That we can be confident that you are who you say you are. So Lord, I pray that you would help us this week to truly focus in on you. God, that you would guide us in your truth by your light. pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.